Hey, before we dive into this episode, if you want to support the Dental Marketer Podcast, then the best way you can do that is by checking out our sponsors. And this episode is sponsored by Carestech. And you're going to hear Dr. Aman Kaur uh, talk about it today and how she utilizes it to oversee her DSOs. Now, Carestack is a complete dental practice management cloud software, and Carestack also eliminates all those extra subscriptions you have, and it will simplify your practice, your work, and your life. If you currently have Dentrix, uh, EagleSoft, PracticeWorks, or Softent, they all let you do the scheduling, the treatment planning, the billing and collections, appointment reminders, but Carestack allows you to do all that and online appointments, online forms, curbside check-in, reputation management, so you're going to get more reviews, uh, contactless payments, they can pay through text messages even, insurance verification, business analytics, and so much more. Guys, you can check it out at lp.carestack.org forward slash the dental marketer to get one month absolutely free. And you'll also get 10% off your annual subscription plus 50% off your setup fee. Again, that's lp.carestack.org forward slash the dental marketer, or you can just go in the show notes below and it's the first link in the show notes below. Hey guys, welcome to the Dental Marketer Podcast. This is a wonderful and powerful episode. I'm speaking with Dr. Aman Kaur. We may have a desire to do this, but are we able to? And if we are not able to, is it, I don't have the skill set today? Can I gain the skill set? Can I adapt? Or is it something I will never be able to, you know? So those are the things um, that needs to be identified. And sooner you identify those, better off everyone is. Yes, you want it. Is it a good desire? Absolutely. You know, every growth is great. It's good for communities. It's good for industries. It's good for everyone individually. But bigger is not always better. That's the other thing. So I, when someone asks, starts those conversations, I try to ask them, why do you want it? Is it because you just want to have this um, big number of practices to talk about? Is this you have a desire to go in certain communities? Is this you have this group of people who want you to grow? What, why do you want it? And if you, if you want it because you, so you could spend more time with your family and you don't have to deal with any management headaches, then you're, you, you, then you're looking at the wrong thing. So just why do you want it? And then if this is what you want, these are the ways to get there and how to be successful in those. She is the founder of Women in DSO, among many other uh, accomplishments and projects she oversees. And in this episode, we discuss how throughout her career, she has learned a lot from a lot of people. And she has had the privilege early on to work with very progressive dental groups. And she lets us know what she learned and how it has changed her life. One thing she mentions that is fascinating is cultivating in your practice, the culture of accountability. So you want to create a culture where people care. And she dives deeper on this topic. Then we discuss how to get the best out of people and your team and how we need to focus more on the strengths instead of constantly weighing them down to improve their weaknesses. She also mentions what she loved about working with some of the large DSOs, what equity groups look for when they are willing to invest into a practice or potential DSO. And we talk about the importance of slow growth, her favorite type of business models and why, 
what system she utilizes right now to oversee multiple practices, and how she created a major organization, which is Women in DSO. So without further delay, here is Dr. Aman Kaur. Aman, how's it going? Going well. Good to be here, Michael. No, thank you so much for coming on. If you don't mind me asking, where are you located right now? Today, I'm in Kansas City, Missouri. Uh-huh. Are you normally located in separate... Because you said like today I'm located here. Yeah, uh, splitting my time between a couple of uh, places. So Chicago sometimes here and uh, sometimes on the West Coast. Wow. Why? Why do you split your uh, time? Um, be, and it's part of work. It's what I do uh, working with different organizations as a um, consultant and different PE groups that I'm partnering with. So and sometimes just uh, work. So I'm maintaining a couple of um, different residences right now. Oh, wow. Awesome. Okay. So b- before we get into that, tell us a little bit about your past, your present. How did you get to where you are today? Okay. Uh, a little bit about me and Michael talking about myself is not my favorite topic. So forgive me. I'm dentist by trade and um, I uh, have been very fortunate throughout my life. Different people throughout my career I encountered and got to work with they have always been uh, some of the best. I learned from them a lot. Right out of uh, school, I got to work with a very progressive dental group where I learned the importance of culture, accountability. And I learned there is a lot more to working as a dentist than just being chairside. So that ingrained in my mind that how to get the best out of people. So that's where it all started. And um, then I went back to business school, learned a little bit about managing people. I had no idea about that previously. I've mm-hmm. uh, been uh, very fortunate to got to work with some of the large DSOs very early on when DSOs were not as common concept as it's today. Got to learn do's, don'ts, progressive growth, slow growth, implications of those things, and learning about different functions that make dental offices work because. There has to be a well-oiled machine behind a dental office to make all the things patients get to experience or teams and the practices get to experience. Learning all those things, I also got to work with state-run programs. So how dental students get to where they are, how they make their selection process, how to influence um, dentists coming out of school to learn more about dentistry. And then uh, worked with financial sector a ton um, in terms of putting those small groups together into large organizations. Ran a few different business models in dental service organizations, urgent dental practices, fee-for-services, denture-driven practices, and then more comprehensive-driven. Worked with some consulting groups about oral systemic connection, very, very progressive periodontal groups. So worked throughout my life in dental service organization space. That's what got me out of bed every morning. So, you know, I always ask people, what gets you out of bed? Because just going to work shouldn't be a reason to get out of bed. There has to be something bigger than that. Uh, And I have always enjoyed uh, developing people and seeing people going beyond where they thought they would, seeing them flourish. Then I looked at my teams throughout my career they have been always north of 80% women in terms of dentists, my directors, my VPs throughout my career. So I learned that I love seeing all these women 
who have been building dental organizations or dental offices be known for the work they are doing. And that's where we started Women in DSO. It's uh, been brewing in my mind for four or five years, and it came to fruition around 2020. Took a step back during pandemic. We launched it in 2021, and it's been a year. We have uh, enormous support, almost 300 members. It is part of Women in DSO, all organic growth. We had our first inaugural event in March 2022. More than 650 people attended. So I just feel like we're just getting started. Wow. So a lot. That's fantastic. Let's rewind a little bit. You immediately went in to say you're a dentist by trade. When you were going into school for dentistry, right? Like your residency and everything like that. What was the ultimate goal back then? What were you thinking? Were you eventually thinking, I'm going to be a practice owner? Or what was it? I wasn't thinking any of that. Uh, I was really young and I wanted to work in healthcare. Mm-hmm. Dentistry felt like a good fit because it's a, it's a beautiful field. You get to go to work on reasonable time and no one really dies on your watch as compared to medical doctors. So feels less intimidating in, a, in that perspective for a, for, you know, young person going to school. It, um, And then I was just thinking, I wasn't thinking anything. I was just really thinking I'll be working on teeth, uh, giving people smiles. And I didn't think beyond it, I'll be honest. So you were just thinking, I'm going to be doing this, working, I guess, for like a practice owner. This is what, in the moment, you were just in the moment, really, basically, right? In the moment, there were days I I would think, oh, I just want to work in a dental school. I, I just love the being in dental school, learning and being around those professors, teachers. There would be the days I, w- I would think that. There will be days when I thought, oh, I just want to be in practice where I control everything and I have amazing people working with me and I get to choose what kind of demographic I want to serve, where I want my location to be, what kind of procedures I want to do. It was kind of a lot of feelings would come and go. But once you come out of school and everything gets real, then you're thinking about, all right, how do I earn a living and also get to do what I like to do and do it in in the best possible way. And um, these days, especially, uh, there are so many options thrown at dental students from third year onwards. It wasn't like that um, many years ago. It is significantly much more educational and Students are coming out of dental schools prepared, learning about the differences in each opportunity. I think a few years, many years ago, it was more look at all these opportunities and pick one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. You're right. They had to kind of do it. So then what solidified it for you, Aman? Like what made it more like you graduated? You're like, oh, my gosh, I got all this debt. I got to hurry up and, and start paying for this. I'm going to just go to a practice or were you like, no, I want to do more. I want to do something specific. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. Think, uh, I just looked at the options and close to home. This is the practice. Seems like there's a nice group of people. It was beautiful practice. I had opportunity to do different procedures, good mentoring program. So there was that safety net. That's nice to have when you are starting out. So all those things helped. Was this the very progressive dental group that you're talking about? Yes. 
Okay. Can I ask what were the what was your name? No. <laughs> no, I'm not gonna do that. Okay. <laughs> okay. I was just wondering. So from here, what were some things that you really learned that you took away where you're like, oh man, I, I'm gonna until today you're still sharing that you yeah. learned from there. So I uh, I a lot of things, but key learnings, culture of accountability. So that was huge. Culture of accountability is much different than people think it is. Mm-hmm. It's educate people, give them the tools and then hold them accountable. But once you're holding them accountable, then they have to be part of a solution, not just complaining or talking about stuff. So one of the things is if you're doing a survey, put your name behind it. There was no such thing as anonymous survey. Really? Yeah. If something is bothering you so much, you should be comfortable putting your name behind it. This is for the team member or for the patient? For the team members. Uh, so then talk to me about that. Did you guys have like a weekly thing where, okay. Survey, weekly meeting. And for that meeting, there was, there was a survey and everyone had to put their name behind it. What did the survey consist of? It was very, it was five questions. Um, kind of team members you felt have gone above and beyond your satisfaction level and uh, any facilities related thing that you want to get addressed, wish list item, any concerns, something. It was very specific and uh, it wasn't yes, no. It was write something or don't. And if you write something, put your name behind it. Yeah, I like that. Because then if it's like, if you're too afraid to put your name behind it, then it's like, then let it go. Right. Type of thing. It's bigger than that. You have to make sure that your team wants to not let it go if it's important to them. So if it is important, that's when they put their name behind it, right? If it's important, bring it to the attention. If it's not important, don't, then it's not important. Why that we don't need it? No one needs another distraction. So what I mean by that is there should be a culture where people care, one, and two, they know that if they care, they should be, it's a supportive environment where they can bring those concerns up and they can say, yes, absolutely, it's important and it bothers me. And this is what I think we can do. Gotcha. Okay. And then fast forward a little bit. You talked about how you started to learn how to get the best out of people. How can we do that? It's hard. It's um, best out of people. Uh, now I believe we need to use people for their strengths. It should be strength-based leadership model because everyone is not going to be good at what they they what they struggle with. And it's trying to fit a square peg in round hole. It just doesn't work. We should lean on people's strengths, keep them in their strength zone. And yes, we want at the same time want to grow people, but it can't be we keep beating on them that you really are not good at this. You really are not good at this. Then they're in a wrong role. Yeah, that could that could weigh heavy on someone, right? If you just keep telling them like, oh, you're not good at this. You're not good at this. Ignoring their strength. They're just in the wrong role at that time. You know, then you cut your losses and say, either create a new role or if there isn't one, then there isn't one. And then that's when you let them go. Yeah, I mean, if there's not a wrong, right role for them, they are miserable. You are miserable. Business is declining. Who is it doing good? Yeah. Okay, that's good. And then... You talked about, fast forward a little bit more, you worked with some of the largest DSOs, right? Yeah. Um, now, how is that? Because before that, were you working for private practice? Yeah. How was that transition? What did you see like that's a major difference? What did you see that were some similarities? Um, major difference. I loved the infrastructures behind those um, larger DSOs. It 
it's remarkable to see how much effort goes behind it. And then there is, um, they know their weaknesses. They know the cost of attrition in certain area and they have a plan for it. And as an organization, there are problems you can solve and there, there are problems you can't solve. The ones you can't solve, you need to have, you need to have built in a cost for that, that it's going to continue for the next two months, how I'm going to manage these and get, not let it be a detriment to business. So a lot of those things I learned and the strategic planning that went into three years, five years versus private practices I've seen this year, next year, and third year is kind of like very rarely I saw. So that was the first and foremost uh, difference. And the talent and diversification of, on the, in the talent, because dentists went to school for a specific thing. They learned to do dentistry, which is dentistry. That's it. It's same thing, better, faster every day. And that's how they grow in their career. Maybe they add another procedure, new skill, or try learn to do different treatment or procedures, but that's about it. And if they do learn business, they have to use a different part of their brain, which they don't use typically and has not been tapped into for those four or five years of school. It just takes different side of your brain to work with people trying to collaborate because there, one thing is doing great work yourself and making sure everyone does good work is a different thing. So having those executive skills in um, dental service organizations and uh, financial sector involvement, I thought that was very impressive too. It helps. What is that financial sector enrollment? Uh, private equity groups or, uh, you know, any angel investor or VC groups, primarily private equity has been in, investing into dental service organizations. And they do bring great analytical abilities, negotiation skills, and they, they do fine job actually um, in making everyone say, keeping everyone focused on the right things because it's easy to get distracted sometimes. Gotcha, gotcha. And that's a role you play right now, right? Like you find, you do this, you connect those two together or no? Yeah, I work with, yes, I, I work with both sides. I work a lot more with private equity groups, but I, um, dentistry is where my heart is. So I always end up working with dental groups, small or mid-sized groups. Got you. What is something that like these private equity groups look for in order to be like, all right, I'll invest? They look for a lot of things. Um, first and foremost, they do look at the business itself. You know, it's a financial investment. So they absolutely numbers are important. But after that, they look for culture. They look at the scalability because their return has to come from growth. And what is the growth strategy? Is it going to be through acquisitions or is there a same store growth that has not happened? How can they grow that margin? Is it going to be process driven or is it going to be adding more practices that has been important to them? And um, the executive team, the management team is also very important to them because it needs to be, because that is really the engine to drive dental service organizations. Because there should be few people who are advocating that private equity's interest and they're also representing their dentist interests. And they have to do both in the best possible way and create be that liaison and create a perfect marriage, which benefits both sides. Mm, gotcha, gotcha. Okay, I like that. For the growth too, right? 
Now, when it comes to, um, or actually, I want to ask a question. Like, have you ever noticed, let's just say somebody's talking to you online and then you're like, oh, I, that's my dream. I want to have a DSOs. I, I plan to have multiple practices everywhere and all these things. But as you're talking to them, do you ever notice like, maybe they, re- you get to know them more. They reveal a little bit more about themselves and you're like, that's not going to be good for you to have. You, the dream is there. That's nice. But you are not a good fit for that. Has that ever happened? It happens. And, um, and it's natural. You know, we all want a lot of things. And desire and ability are two different things. Mm-hmm. We, we may have a desire to do this, but are we able to? And if we are not able to, is it, I don't have the skill set today can I gain the skill set can I adapt or is it something I will never be able to you know so those are the things um, that needs to be identified and sooner you identify those better off everyone is yes you want it is it a good desire absolutely you know every growth is great it's good for communities it's good for industries it's good for everyone individually but bigger is not always better that's the other thing so I, when someone asks, starts those conversations, I try to ask them, why do you want it? Is it because you just want to have this um, big number of practices to talk about? Is this you have a desire to go in certain communities? Is this you have this group of people who want you to grow? What, why do you want it? And if you if you want it because you, so you could spend more time with your family and you don't have to deal with any management headaches, then you're, you, you, then you're looking at the wrong thing. So just why do you want it? And then if this is what you want, these are the ways to get there and how to be successful in those. And seems like you have these five, but these five can be really challenging. So either you bring someone who has those five skill sets and you become a good partner, or otherwise, if you have all those 10, go for it. Wow. Okay. Is there is there specifically that amount, like ten skill sets or five skill sets? No, it's just speaking. Um, okay, got you, got you. But there's a skill set, right? Like that. Yeah. You yes, you have to. You don't have to be good at everything, but there are few non-negotiables you should be good at, and you should be in tune with those things, and you should like those things. If you don't like it, it's not going to last for a very long time. Wow. Okay. So if the person is like, oh yeah, I want more freedom. And I want to spend time with my family. And I know having multiple practices will help me do that. That's probably not the right personality. You can get there, but it'll be 10 years. So do you want to get there today in 10 years? (laughs) You know, those things. And if it's today, um, then you have to put together a team and then that comes with a cost. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Okay. And then you talked about progressive growth and slow growth. Is there a difference? What's the, what, what, what are they? So uh, both are progressive. Okay. Uh, it, slow growth is a lot of times organizations want to grow profitably. So they want to self-fund their growth. Nothing wrong with it. Amazing way to do it. But then there are companies, they just want to take on debt and uh, they feel it's best way for them to get to a bigger number of units quicker, faster. And they have that in, so they have invested in that infrastructure that's going to take them to staff these offices, get them ready. So it's kind of where you're making your investment. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. And you said you also ran a few different business models throughout the time, right? Uh, You've kind of noticed different ones in different DSOs. To you, which one has been the most 
pleasant, most easiest, or most uh, dynamic when it came to business models? So best DSO models are the ones which are driven by the doctors, by the doctor-dentist leadership. Regardless of if you're doing uh, pediatric dentistry, general dentistry, specialty, your lead dentist has to be involved and they need to have some, they have to have some stake at the bottom line because then you're rowing all in the same direction. And doctors need, dentists need more than autonomy. I think they need um, clinical autonomy. All DSOs actually do fine job providing that and they do great job doing quality controls. In my experience, I've seen that dental service organizations do a better job maintaining quality care than a private practice. Because if you see Dr. Smith down the street, who is checking his work? No one. There is no one going into his practice or sharing those patient pool with them. But once you're in a dental service organization, there are chief dental officers, regional dentists, a lot of peer collegiality there. So it helps them kind of do self-checks. So which I believe is great about DSOs. But in, in the end, it has to be dentist-driven. Where dentists demand, I want great quality care. I want good team culture. I want, um, you know, patients, patient retention. They got to be the drivers in a lot of those patient care features. And even in some administrative tasks, they need to know what we are marketing, what kind of brand we are trying to create. So they can live and breathe that because patients feel it when doctors are in it. Yeah. Instead of just for like a blanket, right? Like they're really in the trenches with the, with the patient wanting to care for them. Yeah. The worst thing uh, that you'll hear in practices is when patients ask something and someone in the practice will say, uh, well, I don't know why corporate told you this. Yeah. <laughs> it should be no corporate. It should be Dental service organizations are their support organizations to support what dentists are doing in practices. Okay, I like that. I like that a lot. It's like one industry, right? Instead of like we're fighting, you know what I mean? Like this is fee for service and then this is private practice. And then, you know what I mean? Like all, all you do is take insurance. You're corporate. There's no need for it. It's, uh, it's kind of like dental service organizations are not like uh, a corporate sitting on top and every practice is a unit. It's different. It's um, dental service organization at the core of dental offices. It's a different business model. They exist to support dental offices with non-clinical functions. Gotcha. So then why do people or why do a lot of private practices kind of feel like they do feel like that? They do feel like, oh, my gosh, corporate's opening right across the street. There goes another Aspen Dental or something. Right. And then they're like, here we go. It's competition. Why, what can we, how can we change our mindset? We can't. I mean, it's no different than um, Dr. Jones opening office next to Dr. Smith. Mm -hmm. It's not. It is competition. Absolutely. And, and when you are a larger dental service organization, you have better marketing data, mm -hmm. better marketing resources. You have studied your demographics. That's why you picked that location. So it's, um, there's just more uh, sophisticated systems going into place to get those practices going. And if that office opening across the street also has a dentist who believes in what that practice will be doing, yes, that, that can be, that can take some market share. And it's, those are natural fears and 
reservations and I, I don't blame anyone. Yeah. Yeah. But there's enough, right? Kind of thing, like an abundance or what? Yeah, so, yeah. So the real opportunity here is uh, almost close to 60% of people don't see dentists regularly. So if we just focus on that, trying to bring our population in our communities to get more engaged in oral health, that's where our opportunity is. And if we look at dental service organizations, they are improving access to care and education about dentistry because of their marketing uh, services. And that can um, get, it's market education is happening. It, a lot of credit goes to dental service organizations for that. But, and then we need to capture on that all together. Gotcha. Okay. And you mentioned that, and I never thought about that. When you mentioned like DSOs, there's people checking in on them, right? They're checking in on their work, seeing how they're doing. It's just designed in a way that there are multiple dentists going in one practice. So it automatically ends up other people putting on eyes on each other's work. Yeah. And I like that. Do you ever see, I guess, your employee or the associates and people like that bump heads or kind of say like, oh, no, this person is wrong. What are you talking about? You see it everywhere, even if you, there's like a 7-Eleven, two mm-hmm. people working there, people butt heads, it's natural. And uh, conflicts happen. Yes, it's, it's natural. And it's just, you know, we all are entitled to our opinions. We just have to find a way to get on the same side of the table and see things from other person's perspective. It's typical conflict resolution, I think. Yeah. How many practices do you normally oversee? I have seen um, in hundreds. Currently, I I am working with a smaller group. So I'm uh, with one group around 30 and then I'm consulting with few. There's one starting out with five and there's another one starting out just with two. There's a smaller group with 14. So just I'm not overseeing them, but I'm working with them. Gotcha. Okay. Right now, with the one that you're not consulting, the one that you're overseeing, what systems are you utilizing in there right now that makes everything like so cohesively? So we, um, we have a few different systems and um, for EMR programs, I have, there, there are some great ones I've worked with, uh, CareStack, uh, they have done a fabulous <laughs> job creating a system, an EMR program, which takes care of a lot of things where you don't have to use um, other systems, so a lot of the systems are built in. Then there's, I've worked with Tab32. Um, they are very progressive as well. So that that's another one. Open Dental, a lot of people know, but um, yeah, these are these are good ones. I, I think they're all progressive. I had great experience with CareStack. I just love working with their team, but Tab32 and others are kind of right behind them. Gotcha. Okay. When it came to CareStack, why did you decide to go with them? Oh, I had worked with them long time in my career, um, in many previous work relationships, and I had known their team and the mindset they had used to build their product. And it kind of resonated with me. So that's why. Gotcha. Okay. So with CareStack, when you utilize them, break it down to me in a normal day. Like how does your front office utilize them? What are some of the features that you guys really, really enjoy with them? With CareStack, and forgive me, I'm not so much in tune these days, but during pandemic, I remember they were one of the first ones to come with um, text to pay. And uh, there were also one with the teledentistry implemented in their practices. Uh, I know our practices use teledentistry for a lot of post-op appointments and 
a lot of emergency exams still. And they use that text to pay feature text to uh, let people know. So we, we, we have still maintained an environment where people are not waiting in reception room. So we use that. I, I think that's one front office really likes it. And of course, those patient engagement tools, they're becoming more and more standard in all EMR programs. But um, they, they were the first ones to have a lot of those very nicely built. So they, those have been great. Uh, as far as the back office goes, they like their charting features a lot and how you can build some of your processes throughout the different parts, how you interact with the patient and the software. So that has been great. So if you were to add like, let's just say 31 and then 32, practice number 33, you can just add CareStack to it? Like it's, and yeah, they're all enterprise level solutions. So it's just, you let them know. De novos, they just do it immediately. And then otherwise there's some d- data transfers. Oh, wow. So you don't have to like get like, for example, like another EagleSoft, another Eagle, you know what I mean? Or another open no, I think that that's just such a thing of the past. That almost sounds like a dinosaur age. <laughs> yeah, no, I get you. Okay, awesome, awesome. So I kind of want to talk a little bit right now about the consulting with DSOs. How does that go? <laughs> it's great. It has its... Uh, positives. And uh, sometimes if there are things that move slow, they, that can be a little uh, hard. But I, in the end, you know, that decision-making process is where you have to put your brain and a lot of energy into why we're choosing what and why we are prioritizing things the way we are. And that's where a lot of alignment needs to happen. And the goal of these, that DSO consulting has been is to how to scale them. So that's been the goal with the smaller organizations. And with the larger groups, uh, it's been how to improve certain areas. That's been one of the focus and grow the evaluation because a lot of, there has been a lot of challenges, especially with pandemic and labor force, inflation cost, and just everything has been so expensive. They're just less cotton balls in a bag. They're just, everything is less. Yeah, yeah, that's That's true. Yeah, and insurance reimbursements are not growing per se. So it's just uh, how how do you maintain a healthy margin? And it, those margins have been changing. It's with the labor cost increases. So Yeah, what, I guess, protocols or systems are you utilizing that you can share with us, like right now, to keep up with all that that you just mentioned? Yeah, so there are, if you're a larger group, you can build a lot of things in-house. If you are not a larger group, you have to use systems. And there's just no right or wrong answer. It's just where you are in the stage of your growth. For EMRs, absolutely use cloud-based enterprise level. CareStack is one of them. I'm on board of at Tab32. I really like them too. So it has to be enterprise level and it has to be easy. Both of them are not very commonly known. So there is some training with the workforce that I, I always like to highlight. But these are very intuitive systems. People get to learn them very, very quickly. Yeah. Uh, so that's, that's a good part about them. For patient engagement and uh, patient financing, Sunbuilt has been good, covered care, choice payment solutions. Those things are important. There's another rectangle health we are using for credit card services, because a lot of times these people are want, want to pay with Apple Pay and Google Pay. Having those features need to be there. 
don't want to kind of say one is better than another. There's just so many out there. Pick the ones that work for you and your team. And depending on which stage of growth you are. And sometimes you want to start with a Cadillac of a system. Other times you want to start with maybe just a Ford Taurus. Mm-hmm. And you just have to make that decision on your own. Yeah, I like that. I like that analogy. Okay, so then right now, what can a dentist, either private practice, right? Or somebody's like, who's listening to this and they're saying, Aman, I only have one, but I plan to scale to like six in the next three years, right? I mean, right, hopefully. What can a dentist do today to improve their marketing or business? They have to do that, run that one office well, and then not make things person-based. These need to be process-based because you can scale processes and that's important. And then the third part is they have to learn about what they are doing versus if an average doctor they hired is going to do. Those are going to be two very different things because the drive and the hunger and that passion to make sure their team is supported, lights stay on, and employee dentists will not have that. They just will not. Mm -hmm. They need to take that into factor and knowing what kind of processes we need to have in place so there is a standardization in how every dentist conducts themselves with the team, with the patients. So building a lot of those tools and processes from the very get-go that is making them successful, making them even think that six are possible is very, very important. And then, yes, the biggest, if I were to say one thing, make things process-specific, not person-specific, because Susie here can do wonders. She can check 10 patients out. You're not going to find Susie for every six offices. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So create that process, like that system instead of the person. Systems or- and processes, and uh, then it becomes sustainable, repeatable, scalable. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. And then really quick right now, Aman, are you currently working clinically in a practice or no? No, it's been actually many years that I haven't worked chair um, side. And I've been in primarily in financial sector and in management executive roles with different organizations. So, no. Okay, nice, nice. Okay, so these next questions are just to get into the head of someone who's not totally involved in the clinical side day to day. Right now, what would you like to see more from a dentist? More from a dentist mm-hmm. who is working chair side? Yeah. I would just say if you're working chair side, you know, enjoy what you're doing. That's first and foremost, because we have this oath to, uh, to our profession, to our patients. Don't let patients walk out with the disease. And sometimes it takes not what you know as a skill wise. It takes a little bit of your communication skill and relating with those patients. And that, that goes a long way because we should be uh, engaging people in oral health. That's, I, I, li- I would like to see more of that. I feel like it's disappearing more and more. And uh, dentists, are, dentists just leave that building, that one-on-one connection, why oral health is important to their auxiliary team members or their non-clinical team members. Even one sentence from a dentist is better than 20 paragraphs from an auxiliary staff member or from the administrative team member. So I, I would like to see more of that if I could. Yeah, I like that. And then right now, what do you hate or dislike about dentistry? Oh, gosh. Um, 
I love this profession and I love this industry. Um, I think uh, if I were to say what we can, we have opportunity with this, we're becoming a little bit more peer driven and um, nobody's fault, but um, it is, it just becomes subconsciously insurances don't cover this patient's not going to accept it. Some insurance and dental insurances, there is no such thing. These are dental benefits. It's a thousand to fifteen hundred dollars for a year in best case scenario. And if someone needs something real, patients are on their own because there are so many limitations on what is covered and not. So but people feel they still need to learn insurances and cater to that. So that that needs to improve. And it would be nice if it's going to be a long, long shot, but if health insurances and dental insurances can have some kind of bridge. So there is actually a real dental insurance, if that's what that can help bridge the gap. Gotcha. Okay. I like that too. And then right now, what do you absolutely love about dentistry? I think it's the best time in uh, dental industry. I love the progress industry has made in terms of technology, in terms of um, Improving even access to care and they are thinking about things differently. A lot of clinical tools, artificial intelligence uh, com- in terms of computer vision, in terms of voice recognition, so much is out there. Um, so tools are at fingertips for dentists. Some days I feel there are too many and, you know, too many choices can be an enemy decision making process. But um, there are a lot of opportunities. There's so many great things. We just have to make good decisions, thinking short-term success as well as long-term goals. So, Gotcha. Okay, I like that. So then real quick, if you can break down for me, Women in DSO, what's that all about? When is the next event happening? Women in DSO is uh, something I'm the most passionate about. I'm beyond excited about uh, starting this. and. Um, where we are today and where we will be in future. It's been so essential and a little late, but so essential. And it's, it's an organization that is a platform to help promote and advance women to leadership positions and beyond. And since our, since our uh, launch last year, we have seen around 35% more women promoted to leadership positions throughout the industry. It's just been amazing to see that uh, because these women were already there and they are amazing. All we have to do is not be in their way and sky is the limit. So we're seeing that. And our next, um, we have a Velocity event planned on July 13th at Dykema DSO conference. And then our second uh, Empower and Grow is going to be again in March. Uh, It's the second week of March, March 8th through 10th. So really excited about that. And uh, I always skipped. We are also launching in Canada in, uh, on October 21st, 2022. So a lot of exciting things coming. Yeah. So then what, like, is it an organization that we can, I mean, like for the women that are listening, like they join like a membership or is it, where can we find it? It's on womenanddso.org. We have memberships for industry partners. We have membership for DSO groups, and we also have membership for professional leaders if someone wants to join individually. And they have, they'll have access to this amazing network of women from the industry. They're all C-suite 
women across the industry. It's one of the most powerful networking opportunities I have experienced in my life. People have formed some great friendships that has helped them professionally and personally already. So I continue to see that and it just, that, that makes me feel like we have really done something real. Yeah. Isn't it they say like networking will get you into places that a degree won't sometimes, right? Yes, probably. Yes, absolutely. And, And more than that, I feel it's seeing is believing. We did not see women in leadership positions. We didn't see women representing this industry. When we see them, we believe we can have this too. And that's what Women in DSO is doing. Nice. Awesome. Now I have the privilege of interviewing you. So this is a wonderful turn. You know what I mean? Like it's a really, really cool thing happening here. Awesome, Iman. Thank you so much for being with us. It was a pleasure. But before we say goodbye, can you tell our listeners where they can find you? Oh my gosh. <laughs> find me on LinkedIn. Find me on womenindso.org. Uh, it's Iman at womenindso.org is my email. Happy to connect. And uh, however, I could help anyone with their organization or them individually. It'll be my pleasure. Awesome. awesome. So guys, it's all going to be in the show notes below. So you can reach out to Aman there and, and pick her brain a little bit more. And Aman, thank you so much for being with us. It was a pleasure. And we'll hear from you soon. My pleasure, Michael. Thank you for having me. Thank you guys so much for tuning into that episode. And Aman, thank you so much for being a part of the podcast. We truly appreciate it. Thank you for letting us pick uh, your brain a little bit more, dive deeper into your life. Guys, if you want to ask her any questions or concerns, you know what to do. You can just go in the show notes below and look at her contact information and reach out to her, or you can just join the Dental Marketer Society Facebook group. Uh, she'll probably be in there as well. And guys, don't forget that this episode is brought to you by CareStack. Now, you heard Dr. Core talk about CareStack, how she utilizes it for a lot of her practices. And that's the thing. CareStack is, is made for the private practice, but it's also made for those who have or plan to have multiple practices. So instead of having to get EagleSoft for one practice and then EagleSoft for your second practice and then another one for the third, all you have to do is get CareStack and you have a cloud-based practice management software for all your locations. Now, this will decrease the overhead per office, ensure consistent performance, automate operational tasks, and improve the profitability of your group. You'll be able to know what's happening in each practice whenever. So guys, go to lp.carestack.org forward slash The Dental Marketer to get one month absolutely free. And you'll also get 10% off your annual subscription plus 50% off your setup fee. Again, that's lp.carestack.org forward slash The Dental Marketer. Or you can just go in the show notes below and it's the first link in the show notes below. So guys, thank you so much for always supporting the podcast. Like I said, the best way you can support the podcast is by checking out our sponsors. So go ahead and check out CareStack, schedule a free demo with them. And if you like what you see, then you'll get everything I just mentioned, the one month for absolutely for free, 10% off your annual subscription, plus 50% off your setup fee. Thank you so much for tuning in. I truly appreciate it. And I'll talk to you in the next episode.